Welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast for the 20th of November 2020 with analysts Peter White, Harry Morgan and myself, Andries Fantenar. Now, the first topic we talked about was the MOPR, which is the minimum offer price rule in the USA's PJM electricity market. And the rule says that renewables, which receive state subsidy, can't bid below a certain price. And for now, this hasn't really come into play, but it has been a sort of looming federal threat that may restrict the development of uh, renewable energy in the future. And it's a federal uh, rule acting often against state level policies. What we're discussing is that a Biden administration that comes in uh, would get rid of this rule, basically. Yeah, MOPR, I, I just couldn't work out what on earth triggered all the words about MOPR. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be something that everyone seems to be talking about, though, in the US. Everyone is talking about it, and it started with Chatterjee calling an event on it. And now someone at Calpine has gone, we don't mind. Yeah, we'll we'll withdraw our suit in New York. But when you actually look in here, the people that are, yeah, the people that owned coal plants were against it a bit. But now they realise... It's a good way of levelling up the price. But I I still don't see the solution. If you subsidise solar so that solar's cheaper and then you penalise gas because it gives off carbon, what's fair about that? You want a double advantage. You want want to just have one advantage. So you've got to get rid of the subsidies for solar and just have a carbon cap and, and and what's it system? Yeah, so you just want cap and trade as your sole distorting factor because you want to just use that one factor to drive you towards zero emissions. None of these people get it. I mean, nobody sits there and drives, writes a graph of, well, how quickly is solar and wind going to fall in price over what period? And how dramatically will those decisions come 2030? Nobody will be discussing gas. It'll just be over. You know? Yeah, I think the problem with cap and trade is that because obviously they align the cap with current emissions targets, means that it becomes hard as, as you sort of move further and further forward, it makes it harder to set more ambitious targets because you've already sort of set on a course that basically makes like the the rates steeper that you have to. Yeah, but it's do declining, declining um, cap all the time, isn't it? Yeah, but if you're aiming if you're if you're aiming for 2050 and you're reducing it at one percent a year, and then suddenly you want to aim for 2040, you then suddenly have to decrease it by three percent a year um, if you're going five years into it. So yeah, but um, that's, so you're just you're an engineer. You've got, so if you take ten steps down that path, all the money comes out of gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and as a result, that it's now logarithmic. Yeah, it, the future total revenue, total area under the curve, is getting smaller all the time. So I'm not going to put my money in that. And, and that happens. I mean, you've got to be able to sense the way the conversation is changing in the marketplace. When you first started on the paper, people were saying gas is the natural bridge. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, coal. and they were, and, and a lot of people were saying it. Haven't now, heard that for a long time, actually. Natural bridge. Yeah, well, now, that was very well, that, fashionable, wasn't it? Well, now it's carbon capture is the bridge technology. It, I mean, that it'll be the same thing in five years' time, which it won't be. So, I can't understand what Johnson thinks he's doing, putting a billion pounds into carbon capture. 
he he doesn't know what he's he's just reading out the uh, as as who who wrote that bit the the ten points bit was that you Harry or yeah yeah don't don't tell Harry it was one of the best pieces of it was beautifully structured you know he absolutely decimated the announcement it was correct to decimate the announcement because it it is uh, especially like the fact that most of the money's already announced it has been because I was watching that on the news I thought well I've I've been reading about this well this isn't new you know half of those announcements were yeah just the thing in the national or mass media was about ICE you know internal combustion combustion engines being scrapped by 2030 well I thought everyone knew that I thought that's already a done deal and yeah and people, what happened is they leaked it in they said this announcement would happen in July oh so they, they leaked it in something like April and May oh right that's right. when we first wrote it and then initially it was to 2035 and then it was going to be to 2030 yeah and and this is just finally them actually saying it Oh, I see. Okay, and, and because it's all this uproar and how dare you and all that kind of stuff. Well, in 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 the mainstream. One of the things, so it is kind of true. And again, I would always push this thought that people don't understand how change happens. Mm. If everybody in the UK, you get to twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six, and people start saying, "What's the point of me buying another ice?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, I might as well bite the bullet and this special package has been made available to me i can have some solar panels uh, i can have a plug-in yeah a plug put a recharge thing put in my house uh, i can have a battery and i can do it all on the same lease and it's not going to cost me very much yeah. and actually my electricity bills will go down and anyway i'm going to be driving around smug saying i've um, you know, yeah. I, 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 I don't use up oil uh-huh. that sits in their brain yeah. You know, I'm not an oil user anymore. Oh, you are. Oh, yeah. Down the pub. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you're a dirty oil user. Yeah. And and it starts to undermine the whole uh, ethos of investing yeah. or doing anything with yeah. those companies. I and just, yeah. it, it does roll through the community. The politicians are realistic in saying these oil companies, they can't just take them away. Uh, if, if, if they just half in value now and then half in revenue... And then gradually fritter away over 20 years, uh, we probably lost a huge feather in our caps. We need to convert them into something else, which is why the European oil companies are accelerating that conversion rate, although not the Americans. Yeah, it, I think it becomes a little bit like smoking indoors. It's just something that you've yeah, right. yeah. 10 years' time. And like, as we've got obviously these bands now, but you've got, you'll have, I mean, we've seen it in Bristol, you've got city centre bands for. For diesel cars. I mean, if I was buying a car in Bristol now, there's no way I'd buy a diesel or a petrol car just because they won't mm. convenient in 10 years' yeah. time. So it's something that's going to happen much more quickly. And the 2030 ban, I suppose, is is it's probably the most positive thing that came out of the 10 point plan, but it's not it's not revolutionary by any standards. Uh, I am really really upset that he's put so much into CCUS, but at the yeah. same time, you will have Labour politicians reminding him of how much money he wasted on CCUS when nothing comes out of it in five years. Mm. And saying, well, that was a waste of money. You wasted a billion quid on that. You could have spent it on wind farms. So, you know, you've got to make a gamble, get it wrong, before everybody else says, well, we're not going down that route. So I do do feel it will kind of come back on him. But the... um, 
What about having no solar in it in the announcement? I think there's a belief among British politicians that the sun doesn't shine in England. Mm. And they aren't technical. So I don't know if a single member of the cabinet has got a science A level. Um, so, so I doubt if they understand that it's not sunshine, it's light that pushes the photovoltaic effect. Northern territories to them have an element of solar in their global, in their national strategies. So mm. why wouldn't they? Um, the feeding tariff is definitely, I mean, this is the equivalent of America not, not um, renewing the ITC, which they will under Biden. They've been very clear, the Conservative government, one third CCUS, i.e. gas, one third nuclear and one third wind. That's that's been their strategy from day one, and that's 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 their watchword. The nuclear will be a late arrival, nothing for ten years, and then lots of small uh, SMRs. Okay, they've almost guaranteed that by agreeing that deal with Rolls Royce, but it's not a third. I mean, how much did you say? Seven gigawatts? Seven gigawatts, so around twenty percent at today's standards as well. And that, and bear in mind, the UK electricity demand will rise significantly by the time that they're actually installed. So it'll be, it'll be much less, so much closer to 15, 10% by the time we've got to electric vehicles in the mix. And I suppose the good thing about these SMRs is that they sort of change the government's mentality away from large central generation. So it does mark a shift away from like the- Not, if they, not if they actually system. go ahead with size we'll see. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing at the moment, size we'll see. I don't know how um, they can think it's a good idea based on the chaos that's been caused by Hinkley. Obviously, they're saying they'll learn all the lessons that they. I mean, it's £92.50 per megawatt hour, which is nearly double we're seeing from solar and wind. So it's not excusable, really, especially when you've got battery storage, which we know is going to be cheaper. But that um, policy was set when battery was not uh, part of the perceived mix. As soon as you set that, set something in concrete, and then five or ten years go by, your strategy is wrong. You know, we've moved on. And solar has moved faster than any other technology, even wind. And and it, it's it's the cheap it's the the cheap cheapest and the one with least pushback from consumers. You know, they don't drive past a car full of so, uh, a field full of solar panels and say, Oh, I want that uprooted, I want trees put back. But they do say that about wind farms. Yeah, I mean I think the future of UK wind is offshore and I think it kinda of makes sense with that because you've got the North Sea, but um yeah, onshore wind, I don't see making any sort of real meaningful recovery in the UK. Yeah, I mean, the EU, uh, just, just going to that, that was the lead story, Harry. You know, the extent to which this is offshore was abundantly clear from this piece. Yeah, so, I mean, the strategy, it, oh, the story we wrote was very much a brief on it. Essentially, it's just that the EU has published its uh, offshore renewable energy strategy. It's kind of a way of keeping momentum going behind the Green New Deal, because we've not really seen that much legislation actually published behind that recently, all part of this sort of ongoing consultation. The figure they put behind it is $800 billion, which is obviously pretty significant up to 2030. Euros in, in Europe. Yes, in euros. I mean, the targets are strong. I think six, it was 60 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. I mean, if you look at the national targets at the moment, they already amount to 47 gigawatts. So it's only really a 13 gigawatt increase. But saying that, I mean, the lead time for offshore wind is around eight to nine years anyway. So there's not going to be that much scope to go beyond the 47 gigawatts as already promised. 
uh, and then sort of looking beyond 2050, it's saying around 300 gigawatts of offshore wind by then. So obviously that's, that is really significant in terms of the European energy mix. The interesting thing was to see sort of a revival in wave and tidal, as well as sort of murmurings around floating solar within Europe. Um, do, you, do you feel there was any evidence that that's viable coming out of any of the EU projects on tidal? It's difficult to say. I mean, we've got a lot of wave projects that seem to be being tested at the moment, certainly in Australia. And there's a few sort of pilot projects that seem to be making um, certain advancements. I know some are being explored for making green hydrogen, for example, which potentially would be a really good way of making use of them because that is a sort of 24-7 demand um, and sort of wave and tidal are both 24-7 sources of power. So that's obviously a really good thing. But yeah, largely, I, th- I think it's more of a side note to offshore wind. I think wave and tidal have been being explored for, for so long. What happens now is just going to sort of a lingering obsession from certain developers. Yeah, I mean, we saw with the Swansea Tidal Project and some others in Scotland that that we're arguing about three or four hundred megawatts. We're not, you know, that th- there are opportunities and they could have made a, an economic decision to invest in probably as many as three in the UK, but probably quite a lot more in, in all of Europe. But they were slightly uneconomic at the time and involved you know the, the price of energy being not the 9250 that that uh, hinky point is going to lead to but may certainly the 50s and 60s pounds per um, uh, megawatt hour um, rather than um than than double that that nuclear uh, represents but they we could have done that and moved on and that energy would be with us for 60 70 years i think the interesting thing when you look at the projects so Wave and tidal, if you think about it, are quite similar to hydropower in the sense that they have to be installed in sort of an ecosystem uh, scenario. And I think there's this sort of growing movement, certainly we've seen it in the US, where there's quite a lot of objection to things like hydropower now, purely due to the effects it has on on habitats and so on. With wave and tidal having that, and sort of, I mean, we saw it through the um, the seven barrage in, in terms of tidal projects. It's becoming harder and harder to sort of justify them in a sort of sustainability objective. I mean, people are sort of thinking what's the point of all this we're trying to save the planet let's try and save the entirety of it rather than just building power generating facilities whereas with sort of onshore wind um, and solar and offshore wind to some extent you can basically place them wherever so there's not as much environmental impact to consider i think your point is absolutely valid if you if you want to have a really excess of, of electricity have it available from anywhere have it available in the middle of the ocean uh, somewhere where it's not going to cause anybody any harm fr- from a solar panel that could be anywhere in the country and make it a transmission problem that, that's got to reach those and rather than um, affecting any habitats. But, yeah, I, I think that's what we've seen through um, the EU statement. I mean, they've been very firm on the fact that they want to explore all waters, so including the Black Sea, the Mediterranean, despite the fact that winds near shore aren't that strong, but actually putting things far offshore and using floating wind. Um, and they've really noticed that as a, an emerging technology, especially for countries like Italy and Spain, who haven't been able to invest in offshore wind to the same extent that, say, Germany and the UK have. That's really where the innovation is going to come from in terms of offshore renewables, rather than tidal and wave, where we've seen people trying for ages, but not that much progress being made. What about Japan? Andres's piece about Japan. I mean, one of the things I, I think we slid a paragraph in there about, um, or a couple of paragraphs about LNG being their their kind of natural future. I find it very strange 
that a company like Japan talks about uh, energy security and then immediately gives up that security by buying all their gas from America. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so so what, why is it you think that Biden's election is going to um, weigh heavily uh, on Japan? Well, firstly, uh, they made this carbon 2050 net zero promise a week before the election. And, uh, and there's been a comment by some official in the foreign ministry, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, that they had to do it before the election, because if they did it afterwards, it would seem less sincere and like it was just a reaction to Biden winning. And they've been looking through his, his policies on a sort of individual level, trying to figure out which he'll be able to implement and which he won't in terms of climate change. Um, so basically, they're worried that if America starts putting on a carbon tax or stuff like that, even before they start impacting their own industries and forcing their own industry and energy away from fossil fuels, they'll be even more willing to do the same to anyone who's importing. Um, well, really? I mean, why didn't they say, oh, I'm not going to sell my natural gas in America because it's getting taxed. I'm going to sell more of it to Japan. Well, they're worried that Japan's exports to the US will be affected if they're made with coal power and gas and that kind of thing. But um, surely that's that's a carbon, and we had this conversation, mm. but that's a carbon border tax. Mm. And, and you're saying, no, it's not. It, it, you know, I think it will be affected, i.e. people will start putting tariffs on, on things that come with a heavy carbon load. But making it a formal thing, like a carbon border, I actually think it, it would be. It will is a natural progression. If you have a, any kind of carbon tax, then you can't let other people from outside your company, uh, country undermine your industry by not having a carbon tax. Mm. So you have to kind of put some obstacle in their way anyway, <coughs> whatever that, that, that format takes. Um, otherwise, your uh, suppliers at home cry foul. Well, we don't we don't know what exactly the Democrats are going to do or when they'll be able to do it. But you don't want to get caught with your trousers down if you're the Japanese and, and suddenly the US decides to do this and it takes time for you to establish renewable energy for your industries. Like you know, I took a look at their exports. It's $49 billion of vehicles in 2019, $39 billion of machinery. So there's an opportunity in the vehicles, I think, um, for them to get it completely right or completely wrong. If, if they go to EVs too early and, and America doesn't follow as, as rapidly, then they will end up that's shrinking but if they if america is suddenly pushed to buy more evs because the incentives are put in place by biden then whichever co companies have the best evs will win and, and gain market share and at the moment that is heavily slanted in favor of tesla the germans and and not really so much in japan's favor so you're absolutely right they should accelerate the rollout of evs in their own countries yeah, they also, they also definitely won't be looking towards China, really. I think that that's something that we'll definitely see through the Biden administration is that the sort of friction between China and the US doesn't really go away. So China, uh, the US will be looking towards sort of Southeast Asia, potentially for the imports it would normally look for from China. So yeah, any automakers coming out of Japan um, would be ones to really keep an eye on. Same with South Korea, probably. We've got this situation still going with Huawei. And, you know, the, the previous administration saying we can't import anything from Huawei into America because whether it's on a power plant or telecommunications equipment, it's just verboten. You could imagine a Trump administration saying, and it's the same for EVs, 
you can't have an electric car from China because you don't know what they're listening to, what they're up to. And now that logic goes out of the equation, there's going to be a huge temptation for China to become the car capital of the world. And that definitely legislates against Japan. It gives Japan a, a real headache if that happens. Getting closer to America is, is a good strategy.